The future might be closer than you think. One of my favorite things I appreciate about living in San Francisco is we sometimes get to see technology before it hits wider adoption. And an example of this is the self-driving cars I see passing my home every few minutes. You might even remember Tom Wolf, chief concierge at the Fairmont Hotel here, talking about this. I embrace everything that is new and exciting and has technology. I am still very anxious to take my first ride in a vehicle that has no driver. I mean, could you ask for more? It feels like we're living in the future, doesn't it? A driver that doesn't talk, you know, and I don't want no stinking artificial intelligence uh, driver saying, what's your sign? Today, we're learning about the implications of all of this on hospitality, travel, and the cities we operate in from someone who has a unique perspective on it all. Timothy Papandreou, founder and CEO of Emerging Transport Advisors and key advisor for the Google X Moonshot Factory. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. I wonder just if we spend a couple of minutes talking about your career, just to provide a little bit of context, and then we'll get into the core part of our conversation. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what's your journey been to your role today? Yeah. So ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated with how people and things moved around cities. I was one of those weirdo kids that knew what they wanted to do when they grew up. I wanted to manage cities and, and manage transport and how things work. And I'm talking like super geekery, like I would draw maps of cities and then draw the transport networks and I'd draw the schedules and the timetables of the trains and the buses. I would draw how much the tolls were on the freeways. In my world, everything cost money. It was nothing was free and it was all efficient and everything was like sustainable and eco and there were trees on buildings and a lot of things that don't defy any laws of, of physics. My cities did that. So forget mid-journey. I was pre-mid-journey. I was already doing like, you know, wild, wacky cities. But the one thing that I kept on doing was when I was growing up was like trying to understand like, you know, what is this job? Like, how do I do this as I grow up? And my family was convinced that, oh, this is what an architect does or this is what an engineer does. And I went into those schools and I realized that's not what I want to do. I, I really like the systems of how things connect to each other. And it wasn't until I complained to my architecture professor and said, I really don't care about this one building. I know you guys do, but I don't. I care about how everything gets to and from this building and, and moves around this, the city. And they're like, oh, that's urban and regional planning. And I was like, oh, what's that? So they said, here, you can, go and, um, you can go and go to these classes and sit in with them. And they're talking about like macroeconomics and microeconomics and like urban ecology and urban economics and the environment and people, gender, race, culture, et cetera. I was like, oh, yeah, these are my people. So I was like, okay, systems, systems, systems. And so ever since then, I've worked in, I went and got degrees in this. And I've worked for big transport authorities, small ones, cities, states, etc. And lately, recently, I was the chief innovation officer for the city of, of San Francisco for the MTA. And then be, after that, I got recruited by Google X to go, when it was called Google X, to work on the self-driving car project at X. And we created the company Waymo. And I was part of the launch team, which was really fun to do that. And then I left and started my own company and have been advising governments, corporations, startups, and investors ever since on how to get their hands around this wacky world of transportation and all these big trends of like, we're moving towards this on-demand, electrified, 
automated future, which is upending and going to change everything that we know about the future of living and working as we know it. So it's a really exciting, and I mean literally exciting, which is both interesting and frightening uh, future because a lot of it is not written down. We don't really know what it's going to look like. And there's a lot of people who are on one side super excited by everything and a little too optimistic about it. And on the other end, way too pessimistic and super scared of it, like it's the end of the world. And history has shown us that cities are always these really vibrant, viable, resilient things that are always in this messy middle. You know, it's the messy middle that makes people uncomfortable, but that's where we are going to be for the next couple of decades. It's so interesting. I do want to ask about that transition from being the chief innovation officer at San Francisco's municipal transportation agency and then being recruited to Google for, as you mentioned, uh, X, their moonshot factory. I guess, why are moonshots or these big, bold projects important for us, for, for our society? Yeah, it's a really good question. We're entering a world where the world is getting much more complicated, more complex. We've got complications and with all the different things that are happening around us, our energy mix, our environment mix, our biodiversity, the way we grow food, the way we get around, the way we have things brought to us, the way we make things, all these things have created enormous opportunity for a lot of people worldwide, but it's also come with tremendous cost to the environment, to society, just to our way of life, the stress levels that are through the roof living in these big cities. And this is the first time in human history that more people live in cities than not. So more than half of our world's population now lives in cities. And the next 30 years, we're going to have three quarters of the world's population living in cities. So we're creating a city planet. That stuff creates massive problems. If we expect to move around the way we do now, to make food and to do all the things that we do right now in 30 years' time and still have the same outcome, that literally is the definition of insanity. So we need moonshots because these are big, audacious, radical ideas that will try and wrestle with a global problem that can impact hundreds of millions, if not billions of people with a radical breakthrough technology that can actually be commercialized because that's the hard part. World problems, we know them all. There's about thousands of them, right? Breakthrough technology, we've got some that we can actually try out and then a radical new way of looking at it. But is it commercially viable? Can we actually make this breakthrough and solve the problem and actually create a market for it? And I think that's why we really need moonshots right now because we're entering a world where there's so many things that are potentially going in the wrong direction and so many things that are potentially going in the right direction that a moonshot approach allows us to think really big, to dream as big as we possibly can and to try new things and then radically learn over and over again until we get it right and then basically scale it. I think that's the exciting bit right there. And that's what I do, and it's super fun because you're not failing, even though you are failing and you're learning fast. You're just learning and learning and learning, and all of that information, whether we use it or not, builds up for the next moonshot and the next moonshot and then so on and so on. So you're building this car drive information and this world knowledge base that basically helps us to get closer and closer to solving some of these you know, mega complex problems that we have in our society right now. I appreciate that definition, and I was excited to speak with you because this show's about hospitality, but as we were talking about before we started recording, hospitality is so integrated into its neighborhoods, its cities, it's it's very connected to transit, how we live. I can't think of a, a business that, that touches some of these elements more, and 
I want to talk a little bit specifically about a post that you made recently on LinkedIn. I'll link to it in the show notes. But you talked about an experience you had in a, a robo taxi company. You were, as we touched on, you were one of the key influential early employees at Waymo. And this is another company, Cruise, that you you tried their taxi service. But I want to talk more about the category of robo taxis. I find it really interesting to live at San Francisco in this moment in time because in front of my house, it feels like every couple of minutes, a autonomous uh, taxi will will drive down the street. And it feels, even though I've seen it so many times over the past couple of years, it does feel like you're living in the future. And so my question for you is, you've been in this space, involved in it for a long time, building for a long time. How might robo-taxis affect how we move around our cities? It's a really good question, but I want us to step back. Automated vehicle technology, which is the technology that propels these vehicles, really doesn't care what kind of vehicle it is. So we could actually be propelling people in the muni buses, on the trains, planes, the ferries across the bay, the Caltrain, like it does the high, you know, the big high-speed trains, buses, vans, trucks, ships, garbage trucks, parking enforcement, you name it. If it has wheels, the automated vehicle technology can propel it moving forward. Mining vehicles, for example, construction vehicles, agriculture, everything is going to become automated very soon. So th- this is about transit, you're saying. Th- this is about how people move around space. This is the opportunity. And so we had initially connected about one sliver of that with autonomous taxis. But you're saying this is, this is actually a more kind of meta trend that's happening. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you enjoying this conversation? If so, I invite you to pause this episode and text it to a friend or colleague right now. Not only will you let them know that you're thinking of them, but you'll help and inspire them as well. Thank you, and let's get back to the conversation. Exactly. The automation trend is meta. It's basically anything that moves people or things or connects people to things will become automated. And I'm talking even inside your your hotels. So all the cleaning systems, we've got robots now that can clean bathrooms, that can clean um, hospitality suites. And they do it, they're doing it really well. So the food delivery services, the food making, the food prep, all these different things are going to have some element of automation or robotics or services. Many of your industry folks are ordering things in now and they're coming, someone is literally bringing them inside the hotel. They're coming through like an app, but they don't really see how it gets made and how it gets brought in. But all of those things are are happening right now. And the thing about robotaxis, which is really interesting is, is that they're basically a transport as a service. So it's like Uber and Lyft, but it's actually summoned by same thing. It's summoned by an app. It's basically managed by a computer that basically brings the vehicle to you, and then it takes you to where you want to go. And there's a lot of interesting things about this in that because a lot of our transport system is very inefficient. We have a lot of vehicles out there for no reason other than that they're owned by people, and people own their cars, and they have them parked 95% of the time, and they only really utilize 5% of the day. So we have a lot of vehicles taking up a lot of space, creating a lot of pollution, congestion, et cetera, and they're not really being utilized. The theory, at least, is that with the robotaxi system, because it is a network, it can get people to where they want to get to in the most efficient uh, manner possible. And because there's no human driving it, there's no one to nudge, for example, or to incentivize with pay or whatever it is, to get them to be at those places, they will be there uh, because they that, that's where they're being commanded to be there. So there's a whole network efficiency there that's very interesting that can really help improve the overall make of 
the transportation system, it does come with some question marks. Like, will this result in more people opting for robotaxi instead of other forms of transport? Will they walk less? Will they bicycle less? Will they take public transport less because this is actually so convenient? Is it convenient or will it become just stuck in traffic like everything else? So we have a lot of big questions that come with these new technologies. But what's exciting is that we're trying it out. We're learning. We're seeing more of it happen. And I think we need to do more of that to figure out what is the best mix, what is the best amount of these vehicles in our city and and what do they look like? And are they just going to be cars or are they going to be vans? Are they going to be buses? Are they going to be shuttles of some kind? Like what does the form factor, as we call it, the shape of the vehicle, what does it ultimately look like and how does it serve the most people in the safest, most affordable and greenest way? I want to touch on that, but just to kind of underscore in, in the, the sense of experimentation and seeing what it looks like, you posted recently about having a ride around San Francisco in one of these robo-taxis. And I was curious, what did you notice about the people around you as you were driving around the city in this? I have to say I was shocked. I don't really ride around that close to people driving in their cars. I tend to take public transport. So I'm, in a, I'm either in a bus much higher than them or I'm in a train underground or I ride my bicycle, which is, you know, another thing in itself. And I'm when I'm walking. But because I was actually in a vehicle and I was actually ride, I was riding in a rubber taxi alongside people driving, I mean this when I say it, almost every single person that was driving next to me was looking at their phone. I'm not kidding. Myself. I literally was shocked. If they weren't looking at their phone, they were eating, they were doing something, people were getting changed, people were having full-on arguments, they were like singing, doing whatever it was. What they weren't doing was paid, paying attention, you know, and I think there's this natural, I don't know if it's just this like evolution where People think they know their city and they know their streets and they kind of just not paying attention anymore. There were so many times where people walking by were like flipping off the drivers because they weren't look, giving eye contact. Then I come up in the rubber taxi and they're trying to make eye contact with, and they're like, oh my God, there's no one in the front seat. So like, who do you make eye contact with? But the vehicle made the gestures that it's going to basically obey the traffic rules. And so people basically were crossing, walking on a scooter. I will tell you, people riding their bicycles, I think have been clued in that the vehicle gives them a lot more room than, than regular human drivers are. So they were almost oblivious when, when a rubber taxi almost, maybe the side of relief, I don't know, but like they kind of knew that they'd be given more space. So they just kind of took that space. It was just very interesting experience because I was laughing sometimes. And then I was just truly like shocked. I was like, wow, there's literally no one paying attention. So is it just a matter of time before they just bump into each other or they bump into a person walking on the street. Like it was really um, interesting. Most people crossing the street, except for like maybe a handful were looking at their phones crossing the street. They weren't even, they didn't even give me any eye, eye attention. So I think no one is paying attention anymore. And it's just somehow we're all kind of moving in this time and space. And yeah, but I mean, you know, there's been tragedies in speaking of San Francisco, I think it was two weeks ago, a young uh, child and a, a father, like they were killed crossing the Caltrain crossing, um, the Fourth and King Station, and they, you know, were just crossing in the street. So this this is deadly. We need to figure this out. Not to say that technology can fix this, but we just no one's paying attention anymore. I, I couldn't agree more. It, it does shock me as I'm going around San Francisco and it's true for any city, but how many people are on their phones and the cultural reasons for that 
probably exceed the time that we have to talk about today. But I want to talk about the the safety piece because I, I agree it it, it does. It, I feel safer when I see you know one of these moving through the streets than somebody who is more than likely than not on their phones. I guess my question for you is: How do we change public opinion to accelerate adoption? If if we believe this is good, you know, you mentioned we're still going through an experimentation phase, but how do we maybe correct some of the misconceptions around this and and help people understand this is what it does, this is the outcome, and so on? Yeah, I mean, there's been some issues, right? So the cruise vehicles have had some issues where they have not been performing as well as they the people probably expected them to. There's been some network issues, for example. There's been some connectivity issues. So all those things need to be ironed up, and they will be over time. And I think there's been less so of that for Waymo. The the regulatory authority, for example, has not said anything about Waymo, and, and Waymo's been doing a pretty good job on this sort of stuff. So there is a difference between Waymo and Cruise in terms of how they're being perceived by the at least by the public authorities and the regulatory bodies. From the public's perspective, I think they maybe have a difference of opinion, or maybe they see both as the same. I think what we need to do is we need to be a lot more engaging with the public about what is the purpose of of robo-taxis, what is their value and benefit to to the system, how do they work better in a a system that we have right now, and then also being a bit realistic as well, like in what we call a mixed fleet environment where some cars are driven by computers, most cars are driven by humans. We have a cultural phenomenon of where most people are not paying attention, and if they are, they're not following the the laws exactly. Whereas the computer's following the law and the rules to the letter, right? So that will create hiccups. For example, it won't speed, it won't road rage, it won't tailgate, it won't do like weird U-turns, it won't do things that may potentially free up the traffic flow. It may actually slow things down. So we just need to be very clear about what are the current capabilities of the robotaxi system, what are its goals and opportunities. What are the issues that we're dealing with and how to do them transparently and work together with the with both government, the, the startups themselves, the companies, and the public, and maybe academia because they do a lot of research in this space, and start figuring out what's the benchmarks. What are the what are the must-haves to start this operation and going? They've been given the green light by the state regulatory authority. The city doesn't agree with that decision. So public agency and public agency are not on the same page. So First things first is that we need to get all of the public agencies aligned and have a very clear narrative of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And then have the corporations aligned and then have the public sector, the public sector and the private sector work together so that the public hears a consistent message because they're hearing mixed messages right now. They're super safe. They're not safe. They're super reliable. They're unreliable. Like it's all, it's, a, it's very binary right now. And there's something in the middle where the truth is lying somewhere in the middle so we just need to have that moment where it's funny, I used to do this when I was the chief innovation officer, bring in the public sector and the project together, have the two hands like David Masterpiece, like actually touch and join and actually have those hard conversations about what is this for? What problem are we solving for? And how does this benefit society? And then what does this look like as we roll it out? And I think that hasn't happened enough, honestly. And I think that's where there's a lot of confusion There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of disinformation going on. And there's just a lot of skepticism, which frankly is healthy. But when you don't have everything in one place, you're kind of just filling the gaps. And, you know, um, a colleague of mine would say, you know, without data, you have anecdotes. And anecdotes, anybody can make those up, right? So I have just as many people who posted on my post saying, I had a terrible experience. And I was like, well, that was you. I rode them for a couple of days. 
and a couple of dozen rides and I had a really flawless experience. Now that's how it should be. You know, we call it in the AV world, it should be extraordinarily ordinary, right? We want to have things to be extraordinarily ordinary, which is like all the magic of AV technology giving me a basically a, a neutral benign ride. It shouldn't be anything other than, yeah, I summoned it, it worked, and I got out. It shouldn't be, oh my God, or ooh, like that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting, Tim. At the beginning of our conversation, we talked a little bit about some of the opportunities, but I wonder if we could spend a couple more minutes talking about that and specifically the kind of future of, of autonomous transit as it might mean for the future of living and working. You know, as you mentioned out, there's a lot of experimentation yeah. going on, but you've been a leader in this space for a long time. So I'm curious either kind of the opportunities you see or the things that you hope for in this area um, as it impacts how we tra uh, traverse our cities. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing that we're dealing with. So it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen over time. And what we're hoping to see is that with AV technology, as we roll it out for moving people and moving things, it's going to free up a lot of space in our cities. Our cities, half of our private space, frankly, is taken up by parking for cars. Half of our public space is taken up by roads and on-street parking. The reason we have so much parking is because we've created single-family zoning and we've created single-use zoning, and then everybody needs to drive everywhere, so everyone has to have their own car. Most cities have four to six spaces per resident, per owner of a car, right? So it's crazy amount of space. So if we have a robotaxi fleet that is big enough and dense enough that can move a single person, two people, or even 20 people on a bus, we should be able to free up enough space in cities that we can actually add a lot more housing, a lot more development, a lot more public spaces, gardens, parks, you name it, more bike lanes, more bus lanes, all those things can be done at a pace where the technology can actually show and deliver the, those changes over time. By the way, cities are also growing, right? We're three quarters will be urbanized in the next 25 years. So we need to free up that space regardless. Now, do we need AV technology to be the catalyst to do that? No, there's plenty of ways we can do that ourselves. Unfortunately, it's politically hard to do. It's one of the most expensive things to do politically is to give up space that was given to private cars over to the to bikes, transit, walking, etc. It's also very difficult to change the zoning ordinances to have them no parking requirement because you can build buildings without any parking. The banks won't give you the financing for that because they're using models of that are suburban in nature. So there is this need for some kind of technology or data-driven approach to basically show that you can do all these changes. So they're the huge opportunities from a long-term perspective. So the winners may not be the AV technology companies or the technology itself, the winners might be the real estate industry because there's a huge bonanza for the real estate opportunity. Also, from a hospitality perspective, there's a huge win. If you can free up a lot of space in the hospitality space for things to come to you and for robots to serve your, your patrons, you now have a huge differential in terms of your margins and the cost per resident, the cost per visit, et cetera, et cetera. So all the metrics that you guys use in your industry, they all, all of a sudden become much broader and deeper. And the value chain becomes much broader as well. So automation, while we see the vehicles, the rubber taxes as the, as the first indicator species, this is a meta change across all industries. So think of it from a perspective of how much space do hotels need for parking, for guest parking, for anything with cars, right, that they have in this space versus having nothing, just a curb. All you need is the curb and a valet space. And this now you're serving multiple customers 
you also now can repurpose your land. You can add more hotel rooms to your site and still within the confines of your existing land. So you may end up having 50% more hotel rooms or 50% more visitors on the same plot because of automation, regardless of whether or not it's actually designed for your service or not, just by physically changing the, the real estate equation. So there's a lot there. We're going to change laws. We're going to change rules. We are not going to need those ambulance chases anymore. We're not going to need half of our legal system. Like so many things are in our subsidy system that we put in place that subsidize transport so that driving is easy. But most of that will go away. We won't need as much parking anymore. We won't need as much. We won't need fuel, for example. Things are moving to electric. We're moving. We're changing so much of our overall education system as well. Hardly anybody will get driver's license anymore. I mean, those things are huge changes. So we're going to see a lot of things. Again, not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen over a series of, of 10, 15, 20 years. It's super exciting as you're talking about this. If I think about this, hospitality obviously happens from the built environment. And as we think about what the future of our cities and our communities can look like, uh, you know, you think about all those ugly parking decks and what those could be repurposed as. It's really, really exciting. So Tim, thanks so much for taking some time to, to walk through this with us. If you care about hospitality, I want you to check out the Masters of Moments podcast by my friend Jake Wurzak. Jake has appeared on Hospitality Daily a number of times because few people have the perspective he does as both an owner, he's the founder and CEO of Dovehill Capital Management, and as a hospitality operator with Wurzak Hotel Group. Jake pulls from all of these experiences to host the Masters of Moments podcast, where he interviews top leaders in hospitality. His conversations with Bashar Wali and Matt Marquis are a great place to start, but also check out his solo episodes on how he underwrites investment deals to the deep dive he did on GP fees that you should know about. I'll link to all these episodes in the show notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to the Masters of Moments podcast in Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can learn from the best hotel investors and operators in the world today. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in this show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 